to the SF Weekly Podcast. I'm Nick Veronin, your editor in exile, and I'm joined once again by Kevin Count the Votes Hume. What it do, Kevin? <laughs> How you doing, man? Oh boy. It's November, and uh, oftentimes uh, around this time in November, middle of November, I start getting all kinds of aches in my yeah. face and elbow. <laughs> oh yeah? You got the uh, the winter the winter itis. I don't even know what to call it, but <laughs> Well, so this is what it is. I usually do Movember, grow a stash, oh. and it gets to about where it is right now, and I can't help but kind of like play with it, and it mm-hmm. causes me to contort my face in weird ways, and I twiddle it between my fingers, and my <laughs> arm bent at the elbow starts to get tired. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I could be like one of those old school muscle men, because I don't think I could, first of all, I couldn't do the, the, the handlebar mustache. I wouldn't make it far enough. Oh, and man. I guess like if my elbow's getting tired, just twiddling my mustache, I don't think I could be a muscle <laughs> man anyway. Uh, see, I, I didn't do this in uh, November, but uh, I think like in April, I decided like at the convincing of my girlfriend to uh, trim my beard to a mustache after much insistence. And uh, I kept it for a while, uh, but I don't know why. Uh, but at the beginning of October, I got a haircut and just decided not to do any grooming whatsoever now i have a full-fledged beard with a pretty long mustache again (laughs) (laughs) and it's uh it's definitely been like getting in my mouth getting in my food and uh yeah it's been i i know what you're talking about with you know trying to play with it and contorting your mouth and everything yeah yeah i i used to i it used to be that when i would grow a mustache like i would like one time my jaw ended up hurting because I was like biting. I was like biting it. I was like, <laughs> you can hear it probably like how my mouth sounds. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I managed to kick that habit, but um, it's hard for me to not do the little twiddling thing. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Get a little TMJ going on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, last week seems like eons ago. Oh, I know, right? When we were recording the last podcast, uh, do you rem- if you can even remember that uh-huh. we we had a pretty good feeling that Joe Biden was going to win the uh, election. Mm-hmm. That was Friday, November sixth. We are taping this on Friday, November thirteenth, and 13th. <laughs> basically, <laughs> basically every major media outlet has called the election for Joe no longer hiding Biden, <laughs> even Fox News, and yet. Donald Trump is doing exactly what we would have expected him to do, what he primed us for and signaled he would do, casting doubt upon the outcome, insisting dead people voted, that vote counting software was rigged, that his election observers were not allowed to literally breathe down the necks of the folks counting the votes. (laughs) All of which has been unfounded every time these have been brought into courtrooms. Well, except for the except for the breathing down the neck thing. I mean, they were like, you you can like you can stand pretty close. You can't like you can't can't like give the guy a hug. Right. And there's people being like, we weren't allowed to stand close enough. It's like, dude, how close do you need to stand? Like, seriously, like, yeah, maybe we at SF Weekly can help by throwing one more projection into the hat. (laughs) This, This just in SF Weekly projects that Donald Trump is a sore loser. Oh, that's a that's a super hot take there, sir. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't know how many people would actually agree with me there. <laughs> um, but hey, Kamala Harris, first female vice president 
first black vice president, first vice president of Asian descent, and she was born in Oakland. Oaktown. Served as San Francisco's district attorney under Mayor Gavin Newsom, the attorney general of California under Governor Jerry Brown, and now until Inauguration Day, she is a United States senator. Big ups to Kamala Harris. Nicolin. Nickel and dime, baby. 510, Air Code <laughs> Oakland. Imagine all the VPs going dumb, dancing on top of the White House roof and turning oh, tight ones. Oh, Ooh. shit. Tell me when to go. Uh, dude, it's it's really awesome. Like, you know, we have somebody that grew up in our community that's going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a big deal. Um, it really is. But we have, we also had a local election. It can be easy to forget that in all the hoopla. Yeah, I know. The the second print edition of SF Weekly under my tenure. Uh, yeah, we're, we're still printing after one week. I didn't <laughs> screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> There's a cover story this week um, uh, by Benjamin Schneider that analyzes how San Francisco voters cast their ballots and, and what it says about our city's uh, progressive moderate divide. Um, we're spoiled out here. We, um, you know, the, 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 the political continuum of left to right kind of, kind of consists of like really like left-wing people, um, moderates, and then, you know, some like very polite Republicans. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they're definitely Republicans, uh, but they just, uh, they usually get what, like 10 to 15% of the vote most Uh of the time in pretty much every race they run. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the rest of the country will rag on us for having a nanny state and, you know, give us nicknames like Ban Francisco for always yeah. banning things. But you know what? We're trying to do the right thing out here. There are plenty of people out here who, who do lean to the right, but I think that tends to be about more like fiscal conservatism and tax issues. Not not as many, you know, not as many like crazy gods, guns and and freedom type folks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not, yeah. not in the Bay Area so much. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I would say definitely in SF proper, at least, uh, it probably is more fiscal conservative types, you know, people that uh, most likely work in tech or, you know, are uh, CEOs and whatnot, you know, where they have a lot of money and they want to try to protect their money. Yeah, and they're, they're, yeah. they're not the kind of people who are about to, like, get up in front of a microphone and, like, say that uh members of the lgbtq plus community don't deserve to exist or something like that they're not right right they're not gonna like uh wave a trump flag down market street or something you know they're They're not gonna interrupt a press conference with a tank top that says uh what did that guy's tank top say like said uh beer barbecue uh, and freedom yes there we go yeah of course how could i forget freedom Oh, like, like if you asked a conservative out here, does being against fascism put you on the right side of history? And I think most, most, mind you, would say, yes, it does. I mean, like, even, you know, you get the zany libertarians like Elon Musk, uh, he just (laughs) wants the government out of his hair and to be able to make babies with his amazing alien pop star girlfriend Grimes (laughs) and name it something unpronounceable to troll the internet. It's not, it's not like he's advocating for a white ethno state or, you know standing in front of some rando warehouse for a Philadelphia landscaping business calling <laughs> as a character witness, a convicted sex offender. Oh my God. Who has run for public. Disaster. Yeah. So, so, so I'm talking of course about um, this press conference that Rudy Giuliani held outside of um, what was it called? Uh, four seasons landscaping, I believe four seasons landscaping. Yeah. 
Um, and so he called up this guy as like his character witness to like prove that things were fishy in Philadelphia. And this guy is convicted sex offender. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he contests that we should say he, you know, said he's been unfairly targeted. Um, but he's also like, he's run for public office, uh, in New Jersey as a green party candidate. Yeah. And then he worked with a pro Hillary Clinton group during the 2016 campaign. And now he's up here with Rudy, like saying like, he's excited about president Trump. It's like, pick a lane, man. Yeah. Like he was claiming to be, uh, from Philly, uh, and rep- you know, being on the side of the Republicans when he is, as you said, like a perennial kind of Democratic candidate, or at least a candidate in New Jersey. Yeah. So it's a little. That's what's fishy. <laughs> and he goes. He goes up there, and he's like, uh, "Oh, Four Seasons total landscaping." Ah, D- there we go. D- Daryl Brooks. Uh, he goes up there, and he says. Um, we didn't know if people voted twice or three times. We didn't know if dead people voted. It's like, okay, man, it's not like it doesn't ever happen, but like on a scale of uh, 14,000 votes, hundreds of thousands of votes. No. Yeah, dude. Like, I can't believe that this is where we're at with our country. Like these ridiculous conspiracy theories are just at the forefront of what we're, you know, is it's in our everyday political discourse now, you know? So I, I, I read some, like some opinion piece and I think the the wall street journal or the Washington post, one of those uh, by some, one of their stuffy conservative columnists who was like, you know, Donald Trump, you know, he really should leave the white house, but the, the Democrats started it with Al Gore. And so I went back and I like looked at that. And first of all, like that elect that Florida, it came down to like hundreds of votes. Yeah, five hundred and what twenty seven or something like that. You know, one one state, hundreds of votes, maybe thousands originally, and then the recount happened, and then it came down to hundreds. Yeah. Versus what do we got? Uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, North Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia. I mean, I don't know if they're is the Trump campaign pursuing lawsuits in all of those states. I, I mean, feel like, like at least the ones that he didn't win. So the ones that he didn't win. <laughs> yeah. You know, Georgia and Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Like, I feel like all of those states, there's a potential or at least they've initiated trying to f- file a lawsuit and they've gotten nowhere, I think. I hope. Ah. <sighs> So what what was I saying? You okay? You can tell me that we Kevin live in a nanny state that taxes are ridiculous and and maybe you have a point. But I am proud to live in a state that stands up for the most vulnerable among us. I'm proud to live in a state and a region where progressive candidates, some pushing policies that are even to the left of what I would feel comfortable voting for. I'm happy that those kinds of people are competitive because honestly, that's how progress is made through this push and pull of ideas. You know. Absolutely. You know, um, I really hope that AOC and Bernie Sanders, uh, Jackie Fielder, uh, that those people are the future of where we're going, because I don't think there's going to be any way that we can get forward without trying to adopt policies that are more inclusive and about supporting the greater needs of everybody instead of just, yeah, you know. I mean, and I, I don't believe that being 
a progressive necessarily like this critique that it demonstrates that you're some kind of unrealistic idealist. I think it takes a lot of resolve. I think slowly sliding into a more conservative pattern is truly just, that's the norm. That's, that's, it's basic is what it is, you know? Yeah. Being, being becoming conservative. Yeah. Basic. <laughs> it's such a, you know, it's a trope almost at this point where it's like you get old and you become conservative instead of, you know, trying to continue to expand your horizons as Ryan Gosling's character in crazy, stupid love told Steve Carell's character be better than the gap. I think I'm set for jeans. No, you're not set for jeans, Cal. These are fine. They're not fine. You have a mom, butt. is that what you want? Why don't we just go to the gap? You know what? They have us. Okay. What are you doing? Cal, be better than the gap. Be better than the gap. Say it. I'm better than the gap. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that. Uh, well, speaking of which, um, speaking of Jackie Fielder, uh, this week on the podcast, we have someone who is very clearly striving at every turn to be better than the gap. Jackie Fielder. We talked a bit about Jackie on last week's podcast, I believe, and uh, she challenged San Francisco's incumbent state senator, Scott Wiener, this election cycle. And though Scott won by a comfortable margin, the progressive activist generated a lot of buzz in the city and beyond, got profiled by Teen Vogue, and um, a lot of people are excited about her. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Jackie Field. back with Jackie Fielder, the San Francisco activist who recently made waves by mounting a surprisingly potent challenge to incumbent California State Senator Scott Wiener. Few knew Fielder's name just a few short months ago when she pulled papers to run against Wiener, a former San Francisco supervisor. But as a candidate, Jackie's progressive message resonated with plenty of voters in District 11, which encompasses all of San Francisco as well as South San Francisco, Daly City, and Colma. Jackie sought to outflank Wiener, himself a progressive by many people's definition from the left. She describes herself as a democratic socialist and took issue with the incumbent's positions on housing and development, while also criticizing his ties to establishment figures and organizations. Although she was a political newcomer, Fielder still managed to capture 142,000 votes, around 40% of the vote, as she drew comparisons to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and forged alliances with the likes of Dean Preston, another self-proclaimed democratic socialist and San Francisco supervisor who just won re-election on the board. Welcome to the podcast, Jackie. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So um, Scott Wiener ultimately held on to his seat in the state Senate, but plenty of local news outlets, as well as Teen Vogue, uh, took note of the excitement you generated. Uh, and those who pay close attention to local politics are saying that we haven't seen the last of Jackie Fielder. So I'm going to ask you directly, uh, have we seen the last of Jackie Fielder? No, I mean, this is this is my home. And I think that 
with at this point we're at a hundred and more than one hundred eighty thousand votes um, for us and about forty three percent of the, the state senate vote. So clearly, people are excited, and they're excited for single payer health care, a green new deal, a one hundred billion dollar California housing emergency fund, expanded funding for public schools, you know, expanded tenant protections, and an indigenous wildfire task force. So, you know, in a sense, as an organizer also, um, I, I have a mandate myself to continue pushing for these changes, um, especially as we go forward into, you know, knock on wood, um, a world with a vaccine for coronavirus. Okay. Um, so uh, we had an illustration on the cover of this week's SF Weekly. Uh, it was a caricature type drawing, and we know it was a little um, extra. <laughs> I hope you weren't <laughs> offended by it. No, not at all. I think it's pretty funny, especially considering that um, I haven't worked out in months, and, and especially prided myself a year ago before announcing my candidacy on uh, having somewhat of a routine in, in strength training, but I have to get back on the horse. So that was motivation <laughs> to do so. Yeah, we had you with the really big, big, strong arms there. Um, so uh, the, the headline of that um, of that cover story, Big Progressive Energy, um, we're playing off a, a catchphrase that Ariana Grande helped popularize a few years back. But in all seriousness, uh, and, and I know you've resisted the comparisons to the likes of AOC, so I won't make them, but there does seem to be go- something going on here with this progressive energy, whether whether it's on a national level with the likes of Bernie Sanders and the aforementioned AOC, or locally with you and Dean Preston. So what do you think is going on there? Exactly. I think there is a movement of candidates who have never held public office, who understand the pressing concerns of, I would say, a majority of Americans um, in their inaffordability of healthcare, housing, education, and so many human rights that elsewhere in industrialized countries are, are guaranteed and funded as, as the human rights that they are. Um, at the same time, they are garnering a ton of support because they refuse contributions from big pharmaceutical companies, fossil fuel companies, really any corporations, you know, police unions, all these interests that stand to gain from selling us back our own human rights. Um, I still you know, it's been a week since the election, more than a week since the election. And I'm still astounded at, at having 182,000 votes. I think, um, uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez's most recent general election, uh, she got 105,000. It also demonstrates just how large our districts for the state Senate are here in California, um, as well as assembly and supervisor, so it's really hard to discount the victories of, you know, Supervisor Dean Preston and, uh, you know, other progressive candidates um, across California specifically, especially given the fact that we are uh, home to so many corporations in those realms of, of private health care, of big tech, of the financial world that that often pour millions, as we saw in this in this election cycle, especially with you know campaigns like Prop Twenty Two, um, and even our race, you know the uh, real estate industry uh, committing more than a million dollars to helping support my opponent, Senator Scott Weiner. So you know 
all of this is to say that there is something happening and San Francisco is not immune. Uh, the state Senate district here is not immune. Okay. So uh, on a national scale, though, um, Joe Biden, a long-serving establishment centrist Democrat, is headed to the White House. Um, but judging from the popular vote tally, upwards of 70 million people voted for Donald Trump. Um, taking this into account, plus the analysis that's coming out of Florida, where political reporters are hammering home the point that Trump's anti-socialist message really resonated with um Republican voters uh, and Cuban and Venezuelan voters. Um, if someone like Biden won the presidency and it, and it was so close um, and the idea of socialism is such a, a boogeyman in America, how can candidates like yourself, like Bernie Sanders, um, ever hope to uh, truly succeed outside of places like San Francisco and in a more widespread way? Yeah, I think there's one candidate that comes to mind in particular, um, well, a few, there's Lee Carter, who is a delegate in the Virginia House of Delegates, who is an open uh, democratic socialist, as well as recently elected uh, representatives Cory Bush and um, Jamal Bowman. And so there's a, a growing understanding, even in areas outside of major cities, that um, that we need some. I think in general, voters are looking for authenticity and you know, Trump was a fake populist. He positioned himself as someone who was separate and apart from the elite that both parties have offered to American voters for, for generations, you know, but that was totally not true as we see. Um, whereas someone like Bernie Sanders, who is, is clearly independent of the establishment and, um, has been able to demonstrate that he he is authentic and he can actually effectively represent, um, I think, the common person's uh, interests, which at this point, especially in the worst economic downturn in modern history, especially as we're facing this pandemic and in here in California, uh, we saw Bernie completely sweep the state of California. And that's why, you know, I think it's less about the labels these days and more about where you've taken your money from. And, and I was proud to, to be a part of that movement to reject corporate contributions and other contributions from special interest groups. Okay. Well, um, you mentioned just, just being yourself. And I think that always works um, when being yourself is, you know, someone who can, who can speak concisely and, and get their point across. Um, not everybody's a public speaker, but Let's see, what am I winding up to here? I guess you want to be authentic, but over the course of this campaign, have you noticed sort of talking points and, and, and ways of approaching subjects um, that might actually change people's mind, that might move people who consider themselves to be moderate Democrats a little bit to the left or, or might even win somebody over that's even further to the right? Um, how do you how do you talk to to that audience? What are some of the the things that you say and some of the the buzzwords, if you will? I mean, uh, a common question that I fielded during this campaign was, "How has your platform changed because of coronavirus?" 
And honestly, it wasn't that much. We were already advocating for a tax on millionaires and billionaires. We were already advocating for expanded tenant protections, a $100 billion California housing emergency fund to stabilize affordability for low-income, middle-income people. We were already advocating for single-payer health care. And then all of a sudden we have this pandemic where the the faults of, of wealth inequality and and systemic racism in that became so so blatantly obvious that you really couldn't look at what was happening between you know the George Floyd protests and obviously our eviction crisis, explosion of homelessness, um, millions of people out of jobs. You just couldn't look at that situation this year and think that you know we have a system that functions for everyone. And so that's 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 kind of just the work of for us, I think the biggest lift was going to be, and that this was always the case, <clears throat> was going to be getting our message out. And as a grassroots campaign, because we don't have as much money as our corporate uh, opponent, um, we're going to have to talk to voters directly and, and cut through the noise of TV ads, of, of digital ads, of mailers every day for weeks. Um, so we were severely hampered in that. And at the same time, we, we maintained a really robust phone banking program and um, lit dropping program that didn't require voter contact. But at the end of the day, um, it was plain for everyone to see, I think, just how inequitable our society is, especially here in San Francisco. Okay. Well, um, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's edition of the SF Weekly Podcast. The episode was produced, engineered, and recorded by me, Nick Veronin. Our theme music was composed by The Armature. For more hot takes, deep dives, and alternative views on San Francisco news, subscribe to our podcast through Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. Follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash sfweeklypodcast, and check out our website, sfweekly.com. 